Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... John Mark Comer. So John Mark Comer is back with us. This is, you know, I wanted to start by saying this is... Yeah, I'm right when I say this. This is the first repeat offender. Really? Yes. True. Well, I invited myself back on, so that's, <laughs> no, that, is that doesn't true. mean anything <laughs> at all. That is not true. That just that's even more of a compliment. You have <laughs> unhealthy you boundaries, yourself. or I'm a bully, or something. Yes, no, I don't know. It's, 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 we're thrilled you're back. <laughs> so, so and, and you're here. This is what people need to know, is that you are in Nashville. So you have had a big change lately. I want to talk about this first. Is like This is a big deal, you sort of starting a new career in some ways, or sort of... People, I've had multiple people say to me, congratulations on your retirement. (laughs) (laughs) I just, uh, for those of you listening, just uh, stepped down from the lead pastoral at my church after 18 years. I'm like, listen, I I read a book and... It's done well, but not that well. Yeah, I'm yeah, not like yeah. 41 and just like moving to Malibu. It's such just... a status thing to retire at your age. Too. It is. So. I'm like, what, what does it say about the American church that if you're not a lead pastor, you've retired? And I'm like, oh, yeah. for real, though. Wait a minute. We're talking to Jefferson Bethke mm-hmm. here in a few hours. Yes. I know one of your friends. One of the things he talks about in his book, which I think is interesting that you're doing this too, that I... Uh, I would love to hear you give some thoughts around that um, I'm excited to talk to him about too, but this idea um, of sort of what you're saying, like stepping away. We talked about this last time we had you on, but you know, stepping away to kind of like prioritize, prioritize the things that matter, especially in a season where I would argue there was ever time to double down for you. It's now. I mean, yeah, I only like, have a couple of years left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so, but he uses Billy Graham as the example, but just kind of how tricky that space is where you've been gifted something. And Christendom sort of is like, we'll take as much as you can get of it. Um, and how, how hard that was for Billy's family. He does a good job of not seeing mm. that. And if you're wanting to read that book, it's called Take Back Your Family, but, um, which we're having him on to talk about it. But, you know, it is weird because I do think, and he speaks to this very clearly and well, about this dilemma in the church where we sort of confuse missions, you know? And it sounds like what you're doing is going, no, mission is kind of family. And then life pours out of that as opposed to mission is ministry and family retrofits into that. I mean, is that, yeah. is that fair? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a way of framing it. You know, I probably don't have as thoughtful of a philosophy. I just know <laughs> that I don't want to fail as a dad. Yeah, yeah. And I, there's so many yeah. stories of guys that su- succeeded, end quote, put that word in scare quotes, as a pastor or teacher or whatever, and and utterly failed as a as a parent you know yeah. and you know um parenting is tricky because children are not widgets it's not like if you read the right book and follow the right formula and do these four things your children will all grow up to love jesus and go to college yeah, and have a good yeah. middle class life right. and yeah. you know vote down the middle or yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. and always come home for christmas <laughs> you know children are human beings um with complexity and dignity and freedom and agency and wounding and uh, you sin against your children as you love them and raise them. There's no version of parenting where you don't wound your children. Mm, <laughs> it's just yeah. a question of how much and how aware are you and yeah. what's the repentance repertoire like. Mm. So, you know, but so there's not like, you know, hey, that pastor's child is not following Jesus. Therefore, he's a bad person who sacrifices family. Lots of people put their family before everything and it went tragic, you mm-hmm. know. So there's not a formula, but there's enough stories of people that made their, and you know, with ministry or whatever you want to call it, man, anybody who's 
remotely self-aware and just honest, I'm going to be very godly, knows that motivation is a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. I, I am not sure where you know, where I'm no longer, where at what point in my heart am I serving the church and at what point in the, mm. my heart is the church serving me? You know, I'm Ooh. here in Nashville because I have a book coming out next week. Am I sitting in your living room just because I really want to do agape self-sacrificial love for dads? <laughs> or I'm here because I have a new book out. It's called Live No Lies. It's available pre-order right now, please. Like, right. well, I mean, what's the honest answer to that? You know, the honest answer is probably some mix of yeah, I really yeah. enjoy you guys. Yeah. I care about parenting. I'm trying to figure out how to do it myself. I'd love to learn from you guys. And I want everybody to buy my book. Right, <laughs> you right, know? right. So, like, it's just foolish to deny that. Yeah. So just because somebody's traveling around the world preaching the gospel of Jesus or doing good Christian work does not mean they're doing it for Jesus reasons. Mm. Um, so nor does it mean that you know you're necessarily doing it for Jesus reasons if you stay home. Mm. So right. there's just that heart yeah. kind of awareness stuff yeah. that we have to sit with. You yeah, know? that's really good. Well, I think anything that that shakes us all, like as a culture, out of sort of the you know overall like message that our culture is screaming at us at all times, yeah. which you have had two big moves in yeah. your career yeah. that have done that. Thank you for noticing. Wow. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we had a friend of ours, Mike Donahue on, who was a uh, lead singer of this band, 10th Avenue North, who they, they kind of like, you know, I don't want to say they broke up. They might get back together later on, but they're not, they're mm. no longer touring as a band because they want to, like you're saying, they want to really do this parenting thing right. Yeah. You know, they have their priorities are making it so that the decisions that they're making as men and as dads and as husbands have led them to yes. stop touring. Yes. And I think, you know, like you're saying, there is no, just because you have made these decisions, it's not necessarily like a broad prescription for everyone. No, nope, not at all. But it's really powerful just to have that story. Yeah. Like, well, our friend John Mark Comer has done this. So now that's visible in culture. Yeah. You know. As a paradigm, I think people kind of need permission mm. to not keep chasing your their career up and to the right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which by the way, n nobody's career is always up yeah. and to the right. So yeah, like right. and if it is, that's like a, everything looks good from a distance. You know, it's an Instagram mirage, not reality, mm, you know, right. but Well, it sort of speaks to your conversation with David Brooks and me about icons. How important, you know, you have to be careful of that space, but there is something really important about having these examples yes. you can look to in culture and go like, hey, they did it, so maybe I can't And see. not just examples of like, this person crushed it and became famous overnight, like, but examples of people that took a different route, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I was listening to, um, do you guys read uh, Greg McEwen at all? Mm -hmm. uh, he wrote that book, Essentialism, a couple of years ago, which yeah. is a great read. And he is, he's in like business, it was a really successful kind of business book he's actually a christian but he's not in the christian space and uh he has this little podcast i was listening to and he has this great line it's very true and his catch for his podcast was like there are a lot of podcasts about how to become successful in life there's not about what to do once you become successful mm -hmm. and um and his basic case which there's so much data behind this is and this is a broad kind of overarching whatever your career is whether it's music or pastoring or it that a lot of times, and this is especially true for creatives in any kind, and I think the work I do is different than music, but it is kind of, it's a creative work. Right. Often, the very thing that made you successful will then at some point, your success will sabotage that. So like in Portland, 
you know, big creative class city, one of the major kind of hubs for advertising. So a ton of people in our church work in advertising. And there's all these people that start out as basically artists. They're graphic designers, they're thinkers, they're artists, but then they do really well and they get promoted into management. Now, if you think about what makes somebody a great, like, brand designer is not what makes somebody <laughs> right. a good, like, managing 20 people on a project over right. six totally months. Totally different skill. Yeah, yeah, but that's the career path. That's where the more money is. Right. That's where the status is. You become the whatever. And so there are often people that will get promoted and then realize, what am I doing? I'm not, I didn't get into this to do corporate management. Yeah. I got into this because I love art or I love mm -hmm. the world of ideas or I love telling a story about a product or something. So I think it's similar, you know, with, with some of the work that I do in writing or in pastoring. Like there's this weird dynamic in the church where if you are a good uh, preacher or teacher or communicator or whatever, people will naturally assume, therefore, you should be the leader of a church, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, and you end up almost like running a mid-sized business. And I don't mean that in a cynical yeah. way at all. Like, I believe in the church. I believe in a local church. I be I'm a part of one. I believe in it. Somebody has to do that work of HR and managing a staff and doing the budget and doing the accounting and figuring out, you know, insurance policies. It's all very, it's important things mm -hmm. just to care for people who care for the church. But man, that's a different kind of work than like what I got into this yeah, for. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, that is that is. I mean, the, the the music world is interesting that way because it feel it's you can almost have two careers in the space of what some people would have one career in. So yes. you see a lot of, you know, you can feel crowd interest changing, and mm -hmm. then you kind of go, you know, it, it it's a it the I feel like the career arc is really tight yes. it's high and tight yes exactly um, and so you do have moments where you're kind of like i'm not doing what i it, it feels like maybe even sooner than most careers you kind of go like i don't know is this what i signed up to yeah, do because i'm already right. on the other side of this mountain. other side of that yeah yeah but i'm still young yes it's, it's like a sports career Whole, that way no it's a you know? massive challenge for musicians yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 if there's ever a career i mean I, obviously i'm speaking as a musician but man if there's ever a space where you're operating out of fear and scarcity. Like yeah. whatever you have is yes. like, this is lightning in a bottle. Yeah. You gotta go. It's like if this famine. tour got you on that tour, then you gotta do that. You can't turn down that tour. You know, yeah. like people are gonna forget about you in five minutes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so then the sacrifices that you make, you know, which is if you're a single guy and you're in your early 20s, yeah. I mean, it's like, what yeah. better way to spend your 20s? You know, I mean, what a Get fun thing. Get in that thing. van and but drive. what about when you're a dad? Or, yeah. you know, what about, um, yeah, there's all those questions. You know? So, so uh, Praise God for the internet, Dave. You can just <laughs> sit around and play your guitar in this Listen, wicked cool back house. This is <laughs> wicked cool back house studios. Um, so, uh, wait, you, I, I know exactly what you should do for the second half of your life, man. You have a radio, like <laughs> Nashville exactly radio, like voiceover. I'm having fun. I'm, <laughs> You're made you for it. Um, so you have this wonderful new book out. Uh, uh, thank you very which much. Which is is I mean, it's so good. It's really interesting because I told you, you know, I bought like 20 copies of Hurry because that yeah. book was just so revolutionary. So this book must be a colossal no, no, disappointment. No, 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 man. no, like no What no, happened no. to the Sabbath no, this guy? This is what is so like, exciting about it to me because I think, of, I think of careers, like I think about records, like making records yeah. and how you have to do you can't just make the same thing over and over. Yeah. You got to go where it's well, you, pulling you can. <laughs> you can, actually. Should I, should I have is the question I'm currently <laughs> no. asking. And, and I, you know, I had friends ask me because they knew I got an advanced copy. And like, how is it? And I was like, it's so, it's so wonderfully thick. Like, it doesn't feel like something. 
it feels so important in such a different way, but in so much substance. Like I was so encouraged and challenged, so challenged because it felt like, you know, hurry is this wonderful. It it, it really challenged all these things, but it's such a it, it's so um it's a kind of not a quick read, but it's yeah. like it, it reads really yeah, easy. Yeah, you just kind of go right thing. through it. Yeah, this to me is almost more important because it feels like it's making points that are yeah. really substantiated. It's a but lot more sober. It's a lot more. It's yeah, well said, yeah. very well said. So I I was so challenged, and I'm so excited to talk to you about it. Some so so what are the things that that you do basically? And anyone that reads it will see this. You break it down into kind of the three enemies that we're facing, right? Yeah. And this is you may get mad at me for asking you this, but. Can you kind of give like quick definitions those three things? So you talk about the devil, the flesh, and the world. So can yeah. you kind of walk us through sort of how you define those there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So gosh, there's lots of conversation here. Let me try to keep it short. Uh, so ancient Christians, arguably the desert fathers and mothers in mm-hmm. the third and fourth century, if you know that story, North Africa, these like incredible followers of Jesus and very intelligent people developed this paradigm that they called the three enemies of the soul, which mm. to them were almost, based on their reading in the New Testament, like a counter-trinity to the Father, Son, oh, wow. and the Spirit. So it's like mm. the Father and the Son and the Spirit were bringing this kingdom rule of peace, and there was this oppositional kind of three enemies wow. of the soul, this counter-trinity of the world, the flesh, and the devil mm. that were bringing this kingdom of you know chaos. And there was this clash of kingdoms, and that's what life was. And so one of the great deposits of the Desert Fathers and Mothers is this idea of spirituality as a struggle, which is not how we think of it today, you know? And particular because we have, you know, we're very reticent to any kind of military metaphors. Mm-hmm. In fa- well, some people have the opposite sure, problem. Yeah. <laughs> They're all up for them. But I'm very reticent, you know? Yeah. I'm a nonviolent kind of, you know, theology person. And so, but the New Testament is full of warfare imagery for spirituality. Now, it's, it's nonviolent, it's thoroughly nonviolent. Most mm. Western Christians don't realize that until the fourth century, pacifism was the norm. It was the uniform Christian doctrine. All violence was considered completely incompatible with following Jesus until the fourth century. So they're using warfare imagery, but they're not promoting violence mm. or sectarian or, you know, jihadist bombings the opposite they're all they're literally martyrs they're they're all dying for their faith they're not they don't even, they don't even believe that violence is is acceptable for self defense they're all wow. choosing to die hmm. so but they use warfare imagery constantly paul does this jesus does this peter does this all of them use warfare imagery and you know so the desert fathers and mothers said our spirituality it's not like we have a blank slate and we're just kind of doing project self with Jesus and we're building this beautiful person through prayer. It's like we're in a war mm. and there's this oppositional force. And so all, all formation is counterformation. So, you know, Romans 12, like Paul's famous line, do not be conformed to this world, mm. but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he assumes that transformation in the, in the way of Jesus, it, you don't start with a blank slate. You're already being formed mm-hmm. by the world. You're already being formed by just waking up in the morning and going about your day. Mm-hmm. So whatever our formation is, it's, it has to be oppositional. It has to be counterformation. So the world, the flesh, and the devil were the three enemies that they identified based on their reading in the New Testament. The devil, we can talk more about that. Most people have some kind of a paradigm for that, though we kind of laugh at that in the modern world mm. as kind of, that must be like a pre-modern kind of myth or now we have science, now we know better. We don't believe in invisible demons behind disease and world events now. The flesh is strange to our modern ears because we live in such a sensual culture that's so given to hedonism. You know, and so we don't even really have a category anymore for the flesh versus the spirit, which is a central New Testament theme. 
And then the world, you know, we just talk about the arts and entertainment or economics or politics or systemic injustice or whatever. But the New Testament writers called it the world. Mm -hmm. So basically I do a deep, that's the wireframe for my yeah. book. I build the book around that. And then the undercurrent, the kind of subtext that ties all three together is this idea of lies or deception. Mm -hmm. So my basic theory, I kind of take it in a weird order of the devil, then the flesh, then the world, is that the enemy's kind of, the three enemies' primary kind of strategy against us for the ruin of our soul and our society as a whole is deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are then normalized in a, in a society turned against God. So mm. deceptive ideas, that's the devil's primary work uh, that play to disordered desires, that's the New Testament theology of the flesh, we can talk about that, that are then normalized in a, a sinful society or what the New Testament mm. calls the world. That's the kind of paradigm that yeah. we're, that, that is our struggle. And the reason that struggle is important, there's this book, have you ever read um, The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck? Yeah? Yeah. One of my favorites. His opening line, which sounds so depressing, but it's not a depressing book, is life is difficult. Mm. And then on page one, he makes this great point that life is difficult, and if you expect life to be easy, as most people do, mm. then you're neurotic. And you're like, life is so hard, da, da, da. Mm. But if you expect life to be difficult, ironically, life is difficult, but most people consider life to be really good. Yeah. And so it's a lot about level set expectations uh -huh. and your posture. So I think similar in a similar way with Christian spirituality, which is spirituality, you know, if you expect it to be like just this walk in the park, mm -hmm. you're going to be really neurotic because mm -hmm. you're going to feel all this opposition, not just from outside of yeah. you, but from inside your own body and your right. own heart. But if you expect it to be a struggle, then it will be a struggle. But you will likely consider it still to be life-giving and yeah. joyful and satisfying. Yeah. But it's like, you know, I think a lot of Christians are trying to throw a picnic in the middle of a war zone. Yes. You know, and right. it's just, it doesn't work. Yeah. It, it is, one of the things that I think is so great about this book is I feel like it's, it's a must read because of exactly that paradigm you're speaking to, which is, I can get really guilty. This is where growing up in the South and sort of the Bible Belt where Christianity is kind of a native tongue to everybody, whether right. they know it or not, is that I, I really do feel like I'm thinking, I'm just trying to make earth heaven. And, and yes, I am. And yes. God is like, hey, do that. That's but my right. version of it is this very, you know, uh, uh, stained glass view of, oh, everything. And, and then I have bad days and I'm like, uh, Lord, what's going on, man? Yes. Like I was having a killer day until this happened. And I think what you do so well in this book that, that, and, that you lean on so well and communicate so well is this idea of like, if we can change our posture to understanding as a church that this is a war zone. And again, not to your sort of like playing to what so many people that get scared of or love right now. Yeah, this doesn't mean Christian nationalism, right. the that's opposite. Right. Very much Because, so. what, I mean, we keep going, but the, the, why this matters so much is if you don't believe in demonic stuff, you end yeah. up demonizing other people there you go. or other people groups right. or other yeah, because right. of this political orientation or this racial identity or whatever. And so it actually makes the world more violent if you don't believe in a spiritual kind of violence. Well, and two, mm -hmm. and two I think, as is su such a big um, thing happening in the world right now, is so many Christians who struggle so much with their faith because I think they feel so surprised by these things, and then yes. they start to leave it, or they start to question everything, where I think if we as a church can understand better, like, no, 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 this is how it's going to go. So when it happens, don't be surprised. Yes. Like, yeah. no, this is how it goes. Yes. And, and it speaks to this other the thing. The warnings I, are all over the New Testament. Right. Right. Expect uh, apostasy, deceit, yes. temptation. Yeah. Like, expect all of yeah. this. And two, just the pain of Psalms to me is something we forget a lot right now, which yeah. is like, I think people are like, well, how do I deal with this pain in my life? Well, 
it's really great because the Bible actually has a huge chunk of it dedicated to David and others telling us yes. exactly what it's like to hurt. Yeah. So God is not a God of, I don't understand what hurt is, everybody. It's very much the opposite. But so. if you don't have a theology of suffering, a theology of failure, what happens yeah. when your life doesn't go up into the yeah. right, a theology of the silence of God, a theology of struggle, then, man, you are really going to yeah struggle yeah <laughs> you know? and to your point that i was going to say too which you speak to which this really rocked me i only really learned this probably a couple of years ago uh, on my own but the idea that the devil's native tongue is lies yes that's such an important thing to yes. understand isn't yes. it yes like that you we were laughing john and I were laughing. <laughs> we were talking about this exact same thought and i literally said uh, out loud i said it's like think about how well we speak english and then nanoseconds later I fumbled through a phrase and he's like you may want to dial that back and try it all one more time just for me but you know don't be so conceited so you're, about so your, your skills your radio English voice is maybe just it's, it's, it's need a, to keep working it's a on ruse, it a yeah, it's a ruse <laughs> but like you know I think there is something so interesting about understanding how well literally we speak English like I don't have to give thought to me talking right now it's just happening right. yes. I think it, it comes out and when I think of it that way about the devil the devil is going Oh, that's how I. It, yes, all, it is flowing well, and, out of him. And those lies are are rooted in truths, yes. which I think is like the, yes. the next level of, you know, awareness that like you know, when the devil was tempting Jesus, he's you know quoting some scripture. Yes. you know, like there are some half truths. Oh, in the best lies are almost entirely true. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, you know, we can tie this to parenting in so many ways. Like one of the things that. I feel like I've learned so much about just the human condition by being a dad. Mm. And, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know how anybody could be a humanist and a parent, <laughs> you oh know, and I love my children. They're wonderful. But, I mean, you just see, mm. you just see from such a young age. And one of the things that's staggering, and I say this not to disparage my kids, they're great, but about little kids is the human capacity for self-delusion. Mm. I mean, it's staggering. The way that, you know, the way that kids can and uh, by the way adults do this 120 percent, and we're just way better at it yeah, more yeah. sophisticated right. so i'm using i'm picking on kids because this is a dadville podcast but dads probably have more of an issue with this than their kids but th the way that we can t I'll, I'll watch the way that my kids can do something wrong and then can twist the narrative in their mind where somehow they're the victim and not the perpetrator it's like somehow, well, I hit my brother, but it was because he da da da, you know, and and like all of a sudden they're the victim, yeah, yeah, right, and they're mad that they're getting disciplined by dad. I'm like, wait, you're getting, you just punched your brother in the face and stole his Lego and ran away or whatever when they were younger, you know, and but like the they genuinely <laughs> believe their own lies, yeah, yeah. and but like that, it's all about context. It's all about context. <laughs> you have to understand, I am the victim here. Right. I'm like, listen, I, <laughs> wait, wait yeah. back up the train. Yeah. Yeah. But adults do this mm. at an even more totally. sophisticated level. And so that's where, you know, it's so funny. Even in the secular kind of social psychology world, so many scientists have basically thoroughly debunked the Western idea that we're like these rational, autonomous, objective selves, and we can just kind of, you know, in Portland, you know, science is real, or we believe the science is like a big, which is absolute baloney, because they, they don't. But, you know, there's all this, there's this narrative that we're these objective, kind of rational, autonomous selves, you can make good decisions, 
And all of the science says that is absolute not true. Yeah. We are highly emotionally manipulatable. We're social creatures. We're herd. The herd mentality is woven into us. Mm -hmm. We follow the crowd. We mm -hmm. think, talk, vote, dress like the people that we're around and all in an attempt to fit in and experience love. And we are, our capacity for self-delusion is staggering. Yeah. yeah. Which really plays to Jesus teaching, you know, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Which, if you reverse engineer that, he's he's also saying that we're in bondage to lies, mm. and that's the same passage where you get the whole you know Satan is the uh, the father of lies yeah. when he lies he speaks his native language. Uh, deceit is at the root for Jesus and the New Testament writers. It is at the root of almost every problem we face in mm. our soul and our society. Jeez mm -hmm. Louise, Dave, Jenny, I feel like as soon as October hits, you blink. Boom, the holidays are here. And then the year's over. Yeah. I mean, we're so busy. Who even has time to go to the grocery store? Gosh, seriously, John. I need to be ready for whatever life throws my way. Tell you what, that's when ButcherBox really comes in handy. Yeah. You can't go wrong when you have high-quality meat delivered right to your door. And what's weird is I used to say that before I even knew about ButcherBox. <laughs> you and I would talk about that all the time. All you know? the time. Listen, with so much going on, I need to know that a delicious meal is waiting for me when I get home. Okay? Is that too much to ask? All I need to do is fire up the grill with ButcherBox, and that problem solved immediately. That's right. Like yeah. the 100% grass-fed and finished beef? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Luckily, today's sponsor, ButcherBox, Box is offering our listeners ground beef for life. That's what we, what do we call that, John? GBFL. Ground GB, beef. GBFL. For life. That's amazing. Four of the sweetest words you can hear in the English language. <laughs> Guys, for a limited time only, Butcher Box is giving new members two pounds. That's two oh. pounds. You thought I was going to say one. That's twice as many that's as That's twice one. as many as one. Yeah. A free ground beef uh. in every order for the life of their membership. Gosh, I just want to take a minute and just soak all that in. Signing up for ButcherBox is easy peasy limit squeezy. You can simply choose from their five different box options, four curated boxes, and the custom box where you can pick exactly which cuts of meat to include in your order. You now, no right. matter which box you choose, yeah. yep. ButcherBox packs your meat frozen at peak freshness. Mm. That's peak freshness. We don't want any other kind of freshness. Only peak. That's all they do. All in a 100% recyclable box. Listen, I have loved. Did I say liked? No. I said loved, John. No. Loved grilling burgers with ButcherBox's insanely fresh ground beef this football season. You really don't want to miss out on the ground beef for life deal, guys. You don't want to do it. You don't. This is your chance to never have to shop for ground beef again. Yeah. That's right, yeah. guys. ButcherBox is yeah. giving new members free ground beef for life. We can't say it enough, guys. Free ground beef for life. I've got that tattoo on my back in Invisible Ink. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash DadMill and get two pounds of ground beef free in every order for the life of your membership. Log on to ButcherBox.com slash DadMill to claim this deal. You also, there's so many, there's so many wonderful things. Another thing that I loved about this, which is it, it kind of, these things are so great because they all kind of flow together, as you said, from these deceits that we have. This one really rocked me. And I was so thankful you brought this up, but your exact quote is, 
uh, check out DaveBarnes.com and JohnMcLaughlin.com. But right after that, you said it's JohnMcLaughlin.com. It's John, yeah. uh, you said <laughs> no, wait, I was like, that's a that's the quote. That's a great. Like, that must be a footnote. Did the copy editor, editor put that in there. Like, um, I mean, I like these guys, but but why? Dude, that's, that's why, coming is, in hot. why is that in the book? Um, so what, if you say, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? The move of the yeah. Spirit is inward to conviction, not outward to critique. Yeah, I'm not trying to critique the culture, much less control it. I'm trying to flourish a counterculture. And, and, and the thing that I'd love to have you speak to is it does feel like the wrong use of energy. So, again, deceit, this idea yes. that we're sort of fooling ourselves into who our enemy is. Yep. Um, and you speak to counterculture. What does it look like for us to not believe that lie that, that again, Jesus speaks immediately to? Like, this is not against me and you. Yes. We're not at each other. We're against nope. these other things that you've spoken of, sort of the evil trinity, if you yep. will, the 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 Dar- uh, Darth Vader Trinity, but like, what does it look like for the church to fl- like a countercultural to flourish in a church? Like when you're speaking to that, like, what does that look yeah. like? Yeah, well, you know, there's some. A, a pastor said to me recently, you know, he'd heard something I'd said and took a little issue with it, which is very valid. But um, you know, he said we just need to be known for what we're for, not what we're against. And I understand that saying and that sentiment. And that's a reaction against a type of church and a type of teaching and preaching that's just like all anti the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could just never apply that rubric to the teachings of Jesus or the writings of the New Testament. They're against all sorts of things, and they're very clear about what they are against. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the New Testament is all built around this kingdom of God versus kingdom of darkness, or Paul uses other language of, you know, the old self, the new self, yeah. the old creation, the new creation, different language. Yeah. The same paradigm. There's this world system that is passing away, that is under the sway of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And there's this new kind of world order that's coming to bear in the kingdom of God that's under the rule and the reign of Jesus. That's a whole new way to be human. So Jesus, I mean, he literally starts the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous teaching with compare and contrast. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And this is how the human brain is wired. Not this, but that. So part of our life has to do, uh, uh, discrimination is a terrible word right now and because of what has come to mean in our culture, but there's, we all discriminate constantly between true and false, between good and evil, between the old world that's passing away and the new world that's coming. So that's part of the role of the church and teaching and preaching the Bible and the gospel of Jesus and life together in community is this idea of wisdom or uh, let's set aside the word discrimination. It's not a good word choice anymore. Discernment is, is another yeah. ancient Christian word. Discernment, to discern truth from lies, good from evil. What types of behaviors? So a lot of people think about, say, like human sexuality or gender or some other thing or money would be a good example through the lens of like, what does the Bible teach as wrong or right? And so they view it through this lens of individualistic morality, which then is really hard when you start to hold up a, a moral command about sexuality or whatever to the complexity of a human soul and their own story and their own wounding and their own desires and aches. Another way to, th- to do ethics is how the New Testament does ethics, which these are the behavior patterns that belong to the old world that's passing away. And these are the behavior kind of patterns that belong to the new world that's coming. Wow. And, and, and which direction do you want to index your life into? So, you know, malice and deceit, and that's part of the old world. Truth and honesty and vulnerability and kindness is part of the new. You know, greed, overconsumption, discontentment, that's part of the old self that, that's still in your body and what the New Testament writers call your flesh. You feel those desires in your body no matter how full of the spirit you are. But there's a new 
world that's coming, that the Spirit of God is literally bringing to birth in your body, like labor pangs, that is moving you toward generosity and freedom and contentment and joy and presence to the moment and delight in the simple things. So discipleship to Jesus is constantly about crucifying our desires for the old life, the old self, the old world that's passing away, not just outside of us in the culture, but inside our own body, mm-hmm. and and cultivating and saying yes to and letting Jesus bring to life by the Spirit this new kingdom life that is starting to be born in each of us. Yeah. So you might arrive at the same ethical position on you know divorce or whatever, but you arrive there from a totally different worldview. Mm-hmm. How do I index the formation of my inner woman or man to become somebody who is increasingly experiencing the life of the age to come. Yeah. You know, which s- some scholars argue that eternal life is a terrible English translation of mm. the Greek because we hear mm. that and we just think life forever, forever, forever in mm-hmm. some place up in the clouds, you know? Right. And really, a number of scholars argue that a better, that it's more about quality of life than quantity of life. Mm-hmm. And that another way to translate it, that is the life of the age to come. That in the spirit of Jesus, in the community of Jesus, we are beginning to experience the life that will be ours forever when the world is under the rule of Jesus. And yeah. like, how do we get more of that life? Yeah, it, it, it just, I see so much anger in the church around the misunderstanding of that. Even in myself, when the world does something that I'm like, that is wrong in your and we, I need to spend all this energy trying to fix that. And that's sometimes the truth. I mean, yeah. you know, we need to fight injustices. But I think to your point, it is interesting that it's our, our focus is on this transformation into new and being careful about the energy we spend on something that's never going to understand that transformation. Yes. And your point is already conforming. It's heading a different direction. And, and yes. I just think I see so much anger in so many Christian people where they spend so much time on that. Yes. And they just want to spend all this energy as a church going, we need to get out there and change it. And why don't people agree with me? And they don't yes. vote this way. Or they don't agree with these Christian ideals. Yes. And it's like, well, well, well man, and what you're here, here's, tell me what you think of this. This is my frame. Cause you know, obviously you can think about that through like a, a, a Christian nationalism lens or whatever. You can think about it through like a hyper woke Portland kind right, of lens. Right. It's the same psychological dynamics. Most people don't want to admit that. And one way that I think about it is is the spirit animating, is the energy animating this initiative, whether it's like anti-abortion or pro-justice or whatever, is it the spirit or is it the flesh? Because mm. the great temptation for Christians is to use old world methodology to advocate for new world ends. Yeah, It's to use the old kingdom yeah. means to try right. to get to the end of the kingdom of yeah. God. Right. And so, you know, that's where you can be, like in Portland, and this is a Portland example, you can be at a social justice protest, and I can be like, it feels weird, because intellectually, I want what this protest is advocating for. Yeah. You know what I mean? The protection of black bodies, ju- I have a black daughter, the justice for black, you know, safe policing. I want all of the ends. But something about the spirit of this is evil. Yeah, I mean, it is fueled yeah, by yeah. hate. Full-on hate, and it's animated by the flesh. You can be the same thing on the conservative side. You might be something that's advocating for justice for the unborn, which is arguably the greatest injustice of our era, but yet it's fueled by hate, Mm. anger, self-righteousness, contempt, fear. You're like, wait a minute. Like Something about the spirit, the energy behind that's animating this, it's the flesh. It's not the spirit. Mm. 
So the great temptation, there's a left version of this, there's a right version of this, there's a Portland version of this, and a, <laughs> you know, a w- I don't know what the southern example of that would be, but Knoxville version of this or something. I don't, never yeah, been, yeah. I've never even been to Knoxville. <laughs> if you're in Knoxville, sorry. I just, That's where I'm from, but keep going. I'm oh, a sorry. Offended. Go ahead, it's okay. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to offend you. But the point is, like, we have to always ask, like, what, what's the energy that's animating this? And to tie it into parenting, how often are we trying to engineer the right thing in the character or behavior of our children, but we're doing it in the wrong energy. (laughs) 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 Sorry. So like, it's one thing to critique, you know, a protest or a Christian Republican thing. It's another thing to just talk about like freaking out over my kid because they just did something stupid, but I'm parenting out of fear, out of anger, out of the flesh, out of, I felt dishonored. Like when my teenager disrespects me, which happens, you know, about once a year. Um, am I actually like writing his case because I want him to become a respectful person yes. who's like his boss loves one day or am mm-hmm. I actually just feeling peeved that he yeah, just yeah. didn't treat me with the yes. respect that I think I deserve right. you little punk because I've spent more money on you than you have any idea <laughs> and right, I'm saving for right. your freaking college and you just <laughs> shrugged your shoulder and walked away from me when I was talking to you and yeah, like, that's not the spirit <laughs> yeah. whatever that is that's a yeah. different spirit yeah <laughs> you know that's not fruit we see of the spirit. <laughs> those things do not define uh, yeah that's not, that's not, but wanting him to be a respectful kid, that's a great end. But using control, manipulation, shame, anger to get him there, and that's trying to use the flesh to bring about the fruit of the spirit. And it just will never work. Not in parenting, not in justice, not in politics, not in the church. Yeah. I don't know when the, the ends justify the means phrase oh, man. came about. Like, Oof. I wonder if there was a time where that wasn't just uh, by second nature accepted. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because I, hopefully we're coming out of that. We're realizing so many situations where, uh, you know, we there was so much destruction done yeah. under that banner of like, well, look at the fruit that's happening. Yeah. Look at the ends are justifying the means. Such so short-term about. thinking. Right. And, uh, and it, but it requires, it's tricky because it requires, again, like to get back to how, you know, the best lies have, yeah, are mostly true. 99% true. Yep. Um, there is truth in all that stuff. Like, there is, you know, like what better, uh, you know, end goal could you have than like the justice of these oppressed people or whatever, yes. you know, but the, the ends justifying the means. I, I hope we're coming out of that yeah. illusion of believing yeah. it's that. A pretty, you know? And please don't hear what I'm saying as some like kind of critique of Christians being involved in social justice yeah. at all. At all. I'm, when I, there are lots of places where we can link arms with deeply secular people, often secular people who are angry about this, that, or the other, and still work for... I mean, the world is full of brokenness, and we can still link arms and work together for uh, a more just society, a more just America. I'm for all of that stuff. Yeah. But how we do things inside the church and as Christians, we have to operate from a different spirit yeah, that's is what great. I'm saying. That's right. great. The, uh, another thing you talk about that I think is so compelling uh, in the book is um, this idea that, and I, I just haven't heard it said like this, but you said, and take note, it is our responsibility to curate our own thought life. I loved, mm. I loved these thoughts in the book also. No one else can do that for us, not even God, which is really ironic because I was reading this morning uh, – in Romans eight six popped up, the mind governed by the flesh is death. Yes. The mind governed by the spirit is life. Yes, and and I think what a time again. I think this is so much of your gifting, John Mark, is your ability to sort of speak to the current cultural climate. I think that's a real unique gift you have, and I think so many things in this book are just do such a good job of that. And I find I found myself so compelled by these thoughts, like 
uh, the GI, as you called it, the GI Joe fallacy. <laughs> you know, I thought that was <laughs> we're, so we're the great. right age for that. Oh huh? man, it hit yes. me right on the nail, and nail on the head. But but like you know that, that as you say, we have to do something to begin change, not just know something. Yes. And I think it's it's tricky in this day and age. And I would add even one more layer. I'd love to hear you sort of speak to is you know. Scripture is just such a tricky thing these days. And so we think about if, you know, if you know the church, you grew up in the church, like the renewing of our mind yes. that happens in Scripture. But even in Christendom, even in the church, Scripture is, it's it's tricky. Like you can go to some churches that are, you know, good people meaning to do good things, but they don't believe the centrality of Scripture and the importance yeah. of Scripture. So, so how do we do this? How do we act as Christians? One, I think even when the church has gotten has listed a bit to the left or right or that's yeah, not both, brutal. no, either both. just a, a different direction. No, the church has been corrupted by the world on the left and on the right. Yeah, and so I think like how how one, I, I just can't say that enough. And I think for those who are listening, I mean, I, I want to read this again. It's it is our own responsibility to curate our thought life. I mean. I think it's easy for us to feel like, well, no, I mean, God is going to, It's which I think you make this point. Again, no one else can do that for us, not even yes. God. So that being point one, I think, is worth saying again. But two, how do, how, how do we navigate in a, and even in Christendom when Scripture, which yeah. you argue, you know, that you talk about Scripture and then um, prayer, right? Yeah. Aren't those the two? I may call it something mm-hmm. else. Like, yeah. But, but those two are the ways we do this. Yeah. It is my job every day to get up, yeah. spend time, renewing my mind, spending time yep. thinking on Jesus, reading about Jesus, hearing what he has to say to me through scripture and prayer. Yeah. That's on me. Right? There's not going to be a day, you said it so well at the beginning of this conversation, where I just wake up and I'm suddenly like, man, this is great. Everything's yes. going to, you know, and especially if we have this idea of the of this war that is happening around yes. us. This question is taking 10 minutes, which is really exciting and kind of uh, terrifying. <laughs> but can you, you know, can you speak to that dilemma? Like the idea of like even in church now, as we're trying to renew our minds, one, it's up to us, but two, the way we do it is now even sort of in a, in a battle. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's two layers to that. There's the like higher level of how do we interpret the Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That gets into biblical theology and hermeneutics and church history and Catholic versus Protestant and left versus right and how different people interpret scripture in different ways and the drift, you know, and it's a myth that only liberals are setting aside scripture. Conservatives are doing it too. They just are not honest about it. Yeah. And so like if you if you support militarism at that people don't realize that's a socially conservative position that's theologically liberal. That's interesting. Ooh. But yeah. Americans don't have a paradigm for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you believe that a Christian can go kill somebody in the name of a nation state, that's fine. Lots of Christians believe that. Lots of Christians have believed that down through history. Not not in the first four centuries, but since the fourth century. So that's a that's a you have a position. That's like there's a there's a place for you at the table. But you have to understand that's taking liberty with the text. Mm. So, which is the definition of liberalism, Liberal, yeah. to take right. liberty right. with what the text says. Because a plain reading of the text would basically lead you to love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you and, and not condone violence. Mm. So um, that's a very complex, emotionally loaded issue. My point there isn't to alienate a bunch of people. My point there is to say, you know, it's a myth that only liberals set aside scripture. Conservatives do it too. They just often will keep the guise of, well, we just believe the Bible. Mm. I'm like, well, no, you believe your interpretation of the Bible, you know? So there's that meta level, mm-hmm. and that's a very mm-hmm. complex issue. Talk to Tim Mackey and listen to the Bible Project. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. A, that's that's right. basically Go my answer Tim to that. Keller to but what I'm dealing with in the book is a little bit, le- and it is at that level. I'm talking about orthodoxy and staying within the boundaries of the great tradition, the way of Jesus. That's key to me. But 
what I'm talking about there in that quote that you just used of it's our responsibility to think scripture is like, uh, I guess what we would call it in our cultural moment is consciousness. That, that, that word may, may rub some people wrong. I actually really like that word. That, you know, it's funny, this, this is a bit of a tangent. This book may feel like a full-on departure from my last book. They actually, in my mind, go very much together and on a couple of different levels. Uh, the main one being, I think, my heart, what I really want to do, what I want to give the next at least decade of my life to, if not the rest of my life to, is kind of formation in the Western church, spiritual formation, discipleship. And the two primary obstacles I see that keep people from even starting down the path of formation to even actually start to practice the way of Jesus are one, hurry, people are just too busy, and two, people living with secular assumptions about mm. what's good and beautiful and yeah, true that make great. them not even want to pursue the way of Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, these two books, which are totally different at some level, are, are actually, they're both trying to set people up to go on the journey of yeah. discipleship to Jesus yep. over a lifetime um, by, by removing the two major obstacles, one being hurry, the other being these secular assumptions, lies. So another way to frame that is there are kind of two levels. It's just a framing. There are two levels to discipleship to Jesus. One is curating our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is where I think evangelicalism has lost sight of like a very ancient Christian idea that following Jesus is a lifestyle. It's something that you do with your mm-hmm. life. It's something that you do with your body. You follow Jesus. It's a way of living. It's not just a set of ideas that you believe in your head. It's not just doctrine. It's not just even a moral system of do's and don'ts. It's a lifestyle. It's like a... And so discipleship to Jesus is curating a lifestyle that puts what Jesus called abiding at the center of your life. Mm. It puts living in prayer with Jesus and in community with his people around the table with the bread and the wine as the center axis point of your whole life. Mm. So hurry was kind of about lifestyle discipleship. How do you curate a lifestyle that is conducive for Jesus to heal and transform and form you over the rest of your life? The other kind of layer, even deeper than lifestyle, is about curating your consciousness. Mm. Curating, you know, what is it to be human? Philosophers could, who are way smarter than us could sit here and nerd out about how, like, about consciousness and what it is and how it's what shapes the human creature, you know, uniquely apart from all other creatures, is our ability to be conscious. And so much of what I think Jesus is getting at in John 15 in the abiding passage, you know, let my word abide in you. It was, a, it was John Orberg who had this great little riff on how we all have, what's a word? A word is a, the word, there's like a logos. It's a thought or a mm-hmm. thought pattern that goes through our mind. It's like the internal videos that play in our mind all day long when we're awake. Mm-hmm. We all have words abiding in us. We all have thoughts and thought patterns and images and videos that just play in our mind and our imagination from the moment we wake up and even at some level while we're asleep. His line was, Jesus is not asking you to do something new. He's asking you to do differently something you already do. Mm. And so he's saying, instead of abiding in all of the other words of the world and the flesh and the devil, start abiding in Jesus' words, in his teaching, in his narratives. So part of discipleship, and this is why people, followers of Jesus have long been called people of the book, where people that get together and study the Bible and read scripture and quote scripture and hold to scripture, because part of what we're trying to do is not just keep the ethical guardrails in place so we don't go off the rails. We're trying to actually curate our consciousness to take on what Paul calls the mind of Christ. And so this is where there's a whole other level of scripture that is, It's not beyond, but it's deeper than Bible study, hermeneutics, theology, teaching. It's deeper where we're actually trying to 
curate a mind that is thinking Christly, like like Jesus, mm-hmm. thinking Christianly, that is viewing the world through this the mind of Christ, through this Christ lens, this God-saturated world, but the Father, the Son, and the Spirit permeate all, where his vision of the good and the beautiful true informs everything that we do and how we see the lens by which we see the whole world. So that is where our, it, that's something that we do with Jesus. It's both a work of the Spirit I'm not questioning like atonement theology here, but let's just be honest. It's a work of the spirit and it's something that we do in partnership mm-hmm. with Jesus. The ancient Christians called it synergy. Like we work in this like divine partnership. You know, Augustine in the fourth century said, without him, we can't, without us, he won't. So there's this like synergy in discipleship where God is giving us the mind of Christ through the spirit and by the New Testament, but we have a responsibility to put on the mind of Christ, mm-hmm. to think Christ, you know, so... We could nerd out if Tim Mackey was here from the Bible Project. <laughs> you know, he has this whole thing on Joshua 1, uh, it's too long of a tangent, and Psalm 1, which are almost identical, which are the two passages in the Old Testament about meditating on Scripture. So Psalm 1 is, you know, mm-hmm. blessed is the one whose, who's, you know, mind is set on who meditates on the law day and night. It's this imagery of just, like, thinking about the Bible, meditating on Scripture, thinking God's thoughts after him day and night, all through the day. And there's an almost identical passage in Joshua 1, and so... If you follow the Hebrew like outline of the Old Testament, which is the law, the prophets, and the writings, those two passages about meditating on Scripture come at what they call the seam points. So Joshua 1 is right after the law and right at the beginning of the prophets. Huh. Psalm 1 is right after the prophets in the beginning of what they call the writings. So it's not yeah. how our, our Christian Bibles aren't or- organized this way anymore, but it's how the Bible is organized for thousands of years. And so he's saying like these are little clues put there by the editors of the Old Testament to say this library isn't designed to just be studied and preached about and it's designed to be meditated on and not just meditated on to like try to understand the complexity of it, but like thought Mm -hmm. it's designed to like actually get into your consciousness. We're supposed to be like these trees that are planted by rivers of living water Mm -hmm. and that just intentionally root ourselves in scripture, trying to think God's thoughts after him. So that's where, you know, ancient Christians have a higher, you know, they would call it Lectio Divina or something like that. But there's this way of reading the Bible that isn't just trying to gather information, which is very important. That's not mm-hmm. a bad thing. I'm not down that. But it's actually trying to curate our consciousness mm-hmm. to take on the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. And the more that we can think like Christ, the more that we will end up living like Christ. Mm. Hey, Johnny. Hey, Dave. You know, even though mental health is becoming more widely accepted and lauded today, it's mm-hmm. still scary to ask for help. That's a scary thing. It is. Yeah. You're right. It can be terrifying opening up to a stranger about your most personal problems. Yeah. Or even worse, the perceived judgment that you receive from friends and family. Yeah. Meeting with a therapist is so life-changing. Mm-hmm. Though. I know we've both done that, and it is so helpful. That's why I love Talkspace. Talkspace is great. Yeah. You can easily speak with a licensed therapist from the comfort of your own home, assuming your house is comfortable. You know? That's fair. You can do it from your phone, your tablet, or your computer. Yeah. Therapy is so important, and Talkspace makes it accessible and hassle-free. Forget the frustration of appointment scheduling or sitting awkwardly in an uncomfortable waiting room. Guys, Talkspace provides a stigma-free experience whether you struggle with anxiety, depression, self-doubt, or anything else. You can send messages 24-7 and receive replies throughout the day without having to wait days or even weeks for your next appointment. Guys, it's not weak or weird to get help. 
Talkspace is here to give you professional advice and support you need. Join Talkspace today and start moving forward with a single message. Just visit Talkspace.com and get $100 off your first month when you use promo code DADVILLE at sign up. That's $100 off Talkspace.com, promo code DADVILLE. You know, you're, you're, uh, I just want to speak Sorry, for That was everyone. like a long no, nerd that, moment right, right there. No. Preach, man. Yeah. Preach. Everybody can stop and rewind that and listen to <laughs> yeah, it all no again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like as, when you talk about that kind of, I grew up in the church and when you, when you start to hear phrases like meditate on the scriptures day and night, all that kind of stuff, you know, for, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of listeners out there, that immediately is so daunting. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think what I really got out of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, one of your books, is... <laughs> Available on Amazon for sixteen ninety nine. I'm just saying I want people to know that's a book that everyone should read. That it's happening already. Like, yes, this is that's not, the point. You're already doing it. Right, you're already doing it. You're like, already meditating were, on things all day long. As you drive in your car, as you sit here, you're meditating. Yeah, you are spending time, and, and it really comes down to, I mean, A, honesty, self, but self-awareness yes. of... What am I meditating on? You have a lot of runway here. You're just using, I'll say I, I am just using a lot of it on my phone. Yes. I'm using a lot of it on my email. I'm using I mean, I think that it's uh, good for... Don't forget Netflix. And yeah. Netflix. I mean, the stats on Netflix... Uh, it's unreal. Where you were talking about... You were quoting like the CEO of Netflix who, who was like... <laughs> Our greatest competitor is sleep. sleep. <laughs> I mean, that, He was asked like, are you worried about Amazon Prime? This was a couple of years ago. He's yeah. like, no, our greatest competitor is sleep. Yes. I Let's mean, see. that... They're going to start sending it with caffeine packets. <laughs> Thank you for watching Netflix. Here's your Red Bull. Yeah, that's exactly right. But I think it's good for everybody to just just be aware that you are expelling energy yes. toward an end. Yes. And it's just a matter. It's not a matter of like going from nothing to something. It's just going from this something to this yes. other something. Yeah. You know, so it, which, which to me is really helpful. Because makes it, it less makes overwhelming. It, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus is not asking you to do something new. He's asking you to change how you do something you're already doing. Yeah. yeah. But it does pl- rest does play a role here, you know, to go back to the kind of hurry motif. There is a weird dynamic where the very things that make us healthy, whole, happy people require a level of self-discipline in our current right. age. Yes. And which means we have to be rested at a certain level. So it's the weird thing where it's like when you get overtired, you end up slipping into escapist behaviors that don't actually renew your soul. Yeah. So like if I work too long and then I come home and I really should go to sleep and you know get up in the morning and pray, but instead I'm just kind of want to veg out. So I like have a glass of wine and watch a movie and stay up too late. I don't wake up the next morning like now I feel restored in my soul and I can just think the mind of God. I wake up like groggy and I miss my devotions and I whatever, you know? Yeah. So like you have to have rhythms of rest and soul renewal built in in order to have the emotional capacity to discipline yourself to do the things that will actually make you a whole and healthy and happy person mm, that's you know? a great word yeah i i uh uh which this is kind of the, the couple other things i wanted to ask you about quickly you, you speak to sort of the digital babylon which sounds like 
like either the best like hip hop record of all. Yeah, time. that's not my language. That's Barna, but yeah, it's yeah. great language, it's bro. Amazing. Immediately, I'm like, God. so you should do a hip hop record. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, with I'm a gonna, little like country, you know, Americana, yeah, yeah. like cool guy. I'm considering this prophetic. By Absolutely, way. man. Uh, so in my <laughs> digital, yeah, my wife's like, why are you doing this? Be like, it was spoken <laughs> over me. Um, but like, you know, it, it is, it is by a guy who knows so much about hip hop. <laughs> huge, you know, I'm huge just, got. John Mark Comer. Um, yeah. Um, so as, as John was speaking to that, are the inertia is already there toward these things, and, yeah. and you say it in your book. You know, the question isn't, "Are you becoming somebody?" It's who you're becoming, right? Yes. It's it. You started with saying this in our first, you know, few sentences about uh, the way that the world works and the way that we work. One of my uh, there's a girl who says this quote. I think it's one of the best quotes of all time. We'll never be tomorrow what we're not becoming today. Yeah, it's that same idea, wow. right? Well, what a great said. quote. What a great I'm, quote. I'm saying that now. I wish I had said that originally, but I wish I put that in my book. Yeah, isn't that great? I could have sold another fifty thousand <laughs> copies. <you laughs> yeah, know? so meme that one. Yeah, whoever, right. It's just anonymous girl. Yeah, whoever no, no, you no. Are. It's, it's um uh oh my god, I'm blanking. Uh, Paige Brown. I don't know if you know her. Teacher. I don't know she's her, but man, that, really? Yeah, she's mm-hmm. incredible. Okay. Um, Google later. Uh, so I'm a PCA kid. The joke with her is she's the best preacher in the PCA. And she's a woman. She <laughs> but preach. she's the yeah, only she one. Doesn't <laughs> preach. She doesn't preach. Oh, she doesn't preach. Yeah, so it's like this joke with all the other men. They're like, yeah, oh, she's definitely the best preacher in the PCA. But um, she's amazing. But, um, but the quote, you know, we'll never be tomorrow what we're not becoming today. And I think about what you said uh, of how the devil isolates then lies. Yeah. And I think, and with this is where I'm going with this, especially social media, because you spoke to this. Yes. So, so we're becoming these things naturally. The inertia is there. We're turning into something. And then we give all of this time to these things that the devil is yes. subterfugially. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is, is isolating. I'll take it. Go with it. Go with it. <laughs> yeah, subterfuge as an, adject, as an <laughs> adverb. Subterfugally. You can't the, cage the er, me, John Mark. The er doesn't uh, work. Subterfugally. Sorry. I had like a mouth stroke uh, when I said that. I, I, um, I, I admire your creativity. <laughs> thank you. That's really what they told me all my Just don't apply that to. Theology, <laughs> you know. Exactly, yeah, say amen to that. Um, so, so social media, these things that were Netflix, the same thing. These things we give so much time to, yeah, uh, and the dangers of those things. It's crazy to me. And what this book was another reminder to me is like this is another way that we get isolated, yeah, because we don't have community in those things, especially nope. social media. But we think we do, or or we, yeah. One of so I asked somebody who was I chatting to. You know, and I'm in Portland, it's way more leftist, but I was chatting to somebody from the conservative space who's thoughtful, and I said, why, why, why do so many people believe these conspiracy theories? Like, mm. that are, I'm talking the wild ones, you know? And their answer was really interesting. They said, so many of these people are incredibly isolated mm. and lonely, and they feel ostracized by mainstream culture or progressive culture, which is incredibly contemptuous mm-hmm. and really bigoted toward people that disagree with it. And so the, he said, their primary community is online. Mm. And you believe what your community is telling you. Right. So for them, you know, whatever conspiracy theory thread on Reddit, is their, that's their, more real to them mm. than their neighborhood. Because mm. they actually don't know their neighbors. They're isolated from their family. They're lonely. So their online world is more real to them than the actual world. Yeah. Yeah. And so they and get sucked into these And their being a part of the lies. community is, requires them to be all in. If they're not all in, because then they're that's, not in the community. That's, that's where they get identity. It's where right. they get meaning. It's where they get belonging. It's where they get a sense of right and wrong and whether or not they are whether they are on the righteous or the wicked. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Where do they fall in the... It's where they get atonement. 
all of this comes from, this is why, you know, conspiracy theories on the right and ide ideology on the left, which some would argue that ideologies are the conspiracy theories of the left. Many wow. of them are just wild speculations, but people are so invested in them because they're literally finding identity in these mm -hmm. ideologies. Yeah meaning, purpose, belonging, community, sense of right and wrong, atonement. How do I know if I'm a good person or a bad person? I mean, what is, like philosophers say there's a couple basic questions. One of the most basic questions is who is a good person? Mm. What is, why do we gossip? What's the, what's the psychology behind gossip? Why do all people gossip? Because deep down we're asking, am I a good person? Wow. And so what do we gossip about? Oh, you know, so-and-so, they're not a good person, which is our way of dealing with our fear, trying to say, but, but, I think I'm a good person. Mm. Because this is one of the core human questions. Set aside religion, Christian, atheist, whatever. Like we're all asking, am I a good person? Mm. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have if you don't have a Christian worldview, if you don't have atonement, if you don't have this idea of I'm welcome in Christ as I am, then you're gonna have to somehow self justify yourself. Yeah. And you're gonna do that in all sorts of toxic ways. And now ways. you can find it anywhere. That's the thing that it that I think is which we talked about on, when you were on last time, again as our first repeat mm, 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 mm. <laughs> is is that how much and i love you said it we need community to thrive i i it is i would say in my adult life it is one of my favorite things that god has so impressed over and over on in my heart through my yes my wife and i and family being so involved in our church which is yeah because you know i i I've always thought that's a big deal but i just i can't tell you the way that god has just so with a loudspeaker in my ear continually reminded me of this and and it's so funny because it's juxtaposed against maybe the most lonely uh generating machine we may have ever mm -hmm. seen in social media mm -hmm. and so it's such a fascinating thing because it breaks my heart in christendom especially is that people think they're getting community to realize that real community which no, is hard it's, and it's, it's messy it's, it's not messy. utopian yes and there's confrontation on it yes but it's also unbelievably life-giving yes and yes sustaining and exactly all these things. but we we're getting sold again here's a full circle watch me yep. this bill of lies yes and we don't know it is because we find oh they agree with me to your point john like they think what i think about that now i've got a friend in this person i've never met in my yes. life who can't that speak. will reject you the second you don't fit the you party fit line or right. believe the whatever yeah that's right and so i love i love how much you consistently speak to this idea because I, i've found it to be so true is that we really are like we want you said it with packs. I love the the part you you know how we just sort of naturally turn into the people we're with. Yes, you know, and and it's true. Like we're so we're tribal creatures. We are, yeah. And and you could think about that. You can shame, but I think that's just a perverted version of we're made in the image of God. Mm. You know, God is Trinity. This is the central Christian idea. This is why I'm so captivated by what you know Howard Thurman called the religion of Jesus. Because God is love, which is why mm. God is Trinity, because love cannot exist outside of a relationship. Yeah. So God, at some level, must be a kind of relationship. <laughs> yeah. So we're created in the image of this relational God. One of my favorite theologians has this line, God is a family who makes family. Mm. You know, a beautiful line. So we're created in the image of this relational God to live in this thick, interdependent webbing of community. Mm. When that's perverted by the fall, we default into tribalism. Yeah. And all sorts of really smart sociologists, you can read Ben Sass at a, just a popular level on this, have basically documented how the more individualistic a society or a person becomes, the more tribal they become. Mm. So mm. ironically, the more we just kind of are true to ourselves, mm. actually the less we're true to ourselves, And the more mm. we end up just getting sucked into the herd mentality and fitting in and dressing and thinking and tattooing and whatever like everybody else, you know? Yeah. 
it's it's and you you spoke to this too. I had a little note about this, which I'm glad you mentioned. But <laughs> I just thought it was so well said about where is it? Uh, oh, uh, follow your heart and how we can't because it's always going different directions. But yes. it speaks to that same thing. Yeah, it's same so, thing. Like, you know, like the one. Well, today my heart is going north. As, yeah, totally. North south, which is the which I was saying way. today. It's like that's that's just like poor wording. I think I know. It's like it's it like is true, but remember Jack Sparrow and his little compass. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> for some reason that's what's coming to mind yes, yes. and it's like always going like he can't tell whether what do I actually yeah, want yeah. it's like yeah. supposed to go to what he most desires yeah. and he can't figure it out because yes. it's always like it's always going yes. in all these different that's like an honest appraisal of what the human heart is actually that's right. like that's yeah. right you know follow your honest. heart but your heart's like yeah. that little compass going all over yeah, the map everywhere. and it doesn't even know what will lead you yeah that's why we have we have to follow Jesus and what what the great myth that Americans believe on the right and the left is that we have the option of not following anybody. Mm. And that's mm, a myth. That's a great way yeah. to say that. Well, the question is not do you follow, it's who or what. Yeah, or yeah. You, you're following somebody or something, some ideology, yeah. some person, some thinker, some luminary, your own feelings, your own desires, your bodies. You're following yeah. something. Yeah. And so the question is, is it, is it something or someone that you can trust to lead you to life? Yeah. And, and I think my, my last plug, and then a couple questions, and we'll free you to the crazy nashville you brought the portland weather no man this is so depressing like, um uh is is little plug for church i just i have to say this i yeah. feel like again something i love is this idea of and maybe my challenge those who are listening who are kind of struggling with this is i think anything that follows isolation yes is is not what god wants yep right exactly and that's not that's not a season of being alone that's not that's not what i mean we right. see you know siestas or yep <laughs> you know these little yeah, moments where we just take desert a break. seasons yeah, 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 it's okay. yeah, yeah sure but i think globally and those should happen those yeah, are yeah, very that's necessary. right that's important yeah. but i think if you're looking at your life globally and you're going gosh i just feel like i'm always going away from people and yeah. i'm going away from Maybe the church, whatever. I think that's another thing that you do so great in this book that I, another reason I would plug it is to say there is so much, there's so much great encouragement toward moving toward people and yeah. seeing again that this is what God wants us yep. to be together. Okay, so so kind of wrapping this whole thing up. When you think right. about these ideas, when you think about uh, this being Dadville, that's something I'm curious about. Which you kind of spoken to. So you may you may. I keep trying to tie it into parenting. No, you're and you keep it. resisting no, my that, my, well, my sort of best re- initiatives. <laughs> sort of. we're like we're talking no. about the flesh. Let's talk you're about the, parenting, children. Oh my you're gosh. the best host of Dadville this. right now. <laughs> yeah, you, we are not. Like, <laughs> guys, we're talking about like politics and ideology. Like, how does this help the dad with like the four year old? <laughs> Sorry, Dad. He's just crying right now. He's like, I thought you were going to help me, man. So, so would you again? You have spoken to these things, but I think. I think the thing that's interesting about this book is it's you know when you think of against and enemies and warfare and, and yeah. this, it, it's this is tricky with the nine seven and five year old to yeah. sort of sit with my nine year old and try to help him understand like hey it's a scrap like life as a believer as a person is a scrap but like yeah. it's a scrap right how do you find yourself trying to to, uh, for, to encourage from the dads and moms and people listening out there, how does this get communicated to kids? Like, what's the what's the entry here? So yeah. that you don't go like, you better buckle up, son. No. You know? Well, I mean, you could think about each of those, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You could think about each of those categories through the parenting lens. So the devil and deceptive ideas, you know, that's just, on one hand, teaching your children to read and meditate and think scripture. Mm. So it's something as simple as like, you know, teaching your children to wake up in the morning and before they do anything in our house, before you can have breakfast, like we begin by reading scripture Mm. and you know, that's different at different ages. It looks different when you have teenagers than when you have three-year-olds who can't read yet, but beginning to build the spiritual disciplines are best caught rather than taught. Mm. 
So you can build a rule of life into a three-year-old's life who doesn't even know how to say that or what it means. You know, mm -hmm. you can start to build a habit structure of spiritual disciplines and practices like reading of scripture into the people's dailies to where they just grow up thinking that's normal. You begin the morning with quiet and prayer and reading of scripture and, and not just reading it and going about your day, but actually meditating on it. Psalm one, you can, you can build that into your children. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't control them, but you can engineer that in from a young age. And then on the, on the other side, I just have lots of conversations with my kids about the, the common intellectual pathologies of our day. Mm -hmm. So we're regularly in our family talking about transgenderism and postmodern gender theory. My kids know who Foucault is, and it's mm -hmm. not because we're like brilliant, it's just because we live in Portland and we have to talk about this kind of stuff. And we're talking about racial justice, we're talking about politics, we're talking about conspiracy theories, like you just talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's clear answers, sometimes there's not, mm -hmm. but it's just about creating the space. Otherwise our kids will go to other sources yeah. to have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's like it's so sad when the church doesn't talk about race because that means that the church is going to end up getting discipled on race by secular people who have a totally different worldview mm -hmm. rather than getting discipled by Jesus followers who have a New Testament paradigm of reconciliation and peacemaking. Mm -hmm. So your people are going to get discipled on race. It's just a question of is it by Jesus in the New Testament in the church or by somebody else yeah. who has a whole other agenda possibly for you, you know? So similar with kids, you know, so on the, on the devil side, I think it's, it's, it's the positive side of building habits like the reading of scripture and then on the negative side or the other side of that, just having open conversations. On the flesh side, I mean, gosh, like that's most of what parenting is, is teaching children that their body is full of this internal civil war between what the New Testament calls the flesh and their spirit. There's this part of them that just wants to dominate others, get what they want, punch somebody who has the Legos they want, you know, eat before anybody, just grab, go to the front of the line, take the call shotgun every single time, and like all the things. Mm -hmm. and, and learning to, without shame, for them to notice those feelings coming up in their body that are based on fear or greed or domination or self, and, and understanding there are other movements of the Spirit of God mm -hmm. toward love and compassion and kindness and patience that they have to constantly discipline their flesh and feed their spirit, you know? So, like, helping children, that's one of the main roles of parenting, I think, is we restrain the flesh for children who don't yet have the capacity to self-restrain. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we have rules around children that we don't have around adults is because they don't have the capacity yet. They haven't been formed yet or matured yet to discipline their own flesh. So we have to discipline it for them. But the whole goal is to bring them to the point of maturity where they no longer need us to say, you can't do that. Yeah. Because they become the kind of people that don't do that. Mm -hmm. And then the world, you know, we have to build into Christian, our children's lives from a very young age, a high awareness that we are a part of a different community, a different kingdom, a different nation, if you want to use that language, inside of that of the United States of America. And we live by a, a set of values that is wildly different at times from the dominant values of our host mm -hmm. culture. And so we think about sexuality, we think about gender, we think about money, we think about violence, we think about community, we think about individualism, all of these things totally different than the host culture around us does. And trying to create almost, sociologists call it a cognitive minority, so not an ethnic minority, but if you think about how an ethnic yeah. minority feels where they come to America, like there's about, about 1,200 
I was on a phone call before this with somebody from our church who runs a refugee initiative. There's 1,200 Afghani, Afghani people coming to Portland, right? Holy because cow. because of the displacement, because of the war. They don't speak English. They're from a radically different culture. They're going to feel. Um, I mean, can you imagine what mm. they're? So we're going to try to. How can we serve them as a church? Can you imagine what they feel as a as an ethnic minority and who doesn't even so foreign? And now they're going to come into like crazy progressive. Mm. Portland, you know, I mean, goodness gracious, from Taliban to Portland. So, and, as, and that's an extreme example. We're not an ethnic minority as Christians, or at least I'm not, but we are a cognitive minority, meaning our, our view of the world, our social norms, our practices, our ethics, the way we do life, the way we do relationships, the way we do all sorts of things is wildly different than that of the United States of America and dominant American culture on both the left and the right. So building that awareness into our children's view of the world, not in an us versus them fear or anger paradigm, but in a joyful acceptance, like, yeah, we're just different. Mm. We're we're never going to be cool. We're never going to be mainstream. We're just, we're just different. Building that in and almost building like a joyful high comfort level into that is crucial because it's so easy to just, because we want to set our kids up for success, we push them to fit in with the mainstream of culture so they can do well in life rather than inoculating them against some of that. Wow. Wow. Jeez, man. All right, folks, you heard it. I keep thinking back. You heard it on Dadville. Oh, my gosh. I keep thinking back to what you said in the beginning that are you quoting someone else who said life is difficult? Yes. M. Scott Peck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Opening line to his book. And it's like all these topics that we're talking about, um, it, it, they all are difficult. Yeah. They all, I mean, even when you just say because like... Because life is difficult. Right. <laughs> when you just say like, difficult. well, what does the scripture say? I mean, that right there, on any given topic, that, that's not going to be easy. I mean, right. it's going to take time and yes. discernment and awareness and honesty, Humility. all that kind of stuff. You know, like I, I, I feel like maybe part of the reason why we have like 9 billion different like offshoots of this one central kind of like belief that we have in Christianity is because we're fighting against that. Yeah. Life is difficult, but we don't want difficult. We, we want, want easy. an answer. We 100%. Want binary, you know, so that's just my last little thought. Yeah. Well, look at you. You know, I did uh, doing this primal path thing with my sons, which is like uh-huh. a three we had year. John on. Yeah. And this, yeah, he's incredible. So go follow all John Tyson stuff. Did you have him on for his new book? Mm-hmm. Great. So, you know, uh, the, in that curriculum, like the, f- the number, there's these five lessons. I'm about to do it with my second son. So he turns 13 in a couple of weeks. We'll have this like massive like man bonfire out in the woods. Then the next morning we'll get in our car and we'll camp down Highway 1 to the Bay Area where I grew up. And we'll do this like eight-day camping road trip adventure thing and all these like things along the moment. Are you going to try to go to Ritual Coffee while you're in the Bay Area? <laughs> uh, I'm more of a Linnea guy, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, Cafe Linnea. If, okay. you're, if, you're, if, you're in, if you ever are in San Francisco... But God bless I you. I actually I'm never like, have had that because <laughs> I always go to Ritual. Ritual's good. Linnea's better, in my in, in opinion. I mean, okay. that's, that's preference. I like it. See, this is difficult. Mm-hmm. This is hard. Yep, this is that's hard, hard for me to hear. This is hard for me to hear. Votes. And now you have to, like, Google a new place next time you're <laughs> right. there. And you have to, like, go. How do I and, spell and, it? Linnea. L-I-N-E-A. Um, okay. Anyway, we do these five lessons that every man must know. And they're 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 contextualized to a, a, an adolescent boy, but they're really true of all people. And lesson one is life is difficult. Wow. And so we, so I do with each of the which each of my boys we do this paradigm of like what's the what's the lie, what's the truth, what's the shift. 
So the lie is, life's easy. Just go with the flow. Have fun. Like, just mm-hmm. do it. The truth is, life is actually really hard and difficult. It's still reach deeply good and meaningful, but life is difficult. And the shift from boyhood to manhood is from ease to difficulty, mm. from a life that's run by what's easy to a life that accepts difficulty as part of being human and actually accepts it joyfully and moves into it. Mm. That's what it means to become a man. So it's probably pretty true for women too. But yeah. I'm trying to raise, you know, boys right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for being on. Folks, yeah, again, this is so great. your new book, Live No Lies, is out. It is so wonderful. And it's uh, all of these are just such a gift. So I'm, I'm thankful you write these and share with us your gift. It's my really honor. Wonderful. Thanks for having me on, guys. Dad Phil.